the key issue with being an infinite player is resources. Now, as I mentioned, a bad faith actor, e.g. someone playing the infinite game, their resources are very, very low. It's, it's you know, very cheap to be a bad faith actor conducting disinformation attacks today. You know? um, whereas a good faith actor attempting to counter disinformation attacks, it requires a much broader array of resources. I mean, quite simply, there are not enough counter disinformation specialists in the world to counter the world's disinformation. The, the scales the, are imbalanced. But with things like machine learning and sort of natural language processing, we do have solutions that can help augment our efforts. When you're playing a game with someone who doesn't play by the rules, who doesn't play by any rules, who doesn't even really want to win the game, who simply wants the game to go on and on, well, you can't win. That's how disinformation works, says today's guest on the Red Tape Chronicles podcast. He's Alex Shepard, and he's an artificial intelligence researcher based in the UK, and he's also advised organizations and governments around the world on battling disinformation. Trolls, foreign agents, and perhaps even some politicians are playing what should be called an infinite game, while good faith actors and fact checkers are playing a finite game, so there's no way to win. Unless everyone starts playing by infinite game rules. Here's my conversation with Alex. Let me preface this conversation to, to bring you into it, Alex, by saying when you're a technology reporter, you always get to this moment where someone says to you, you know, tech hasn't really changed anything. All these ills that you're always writing about in tech, whether it's pedophilia or Internet crime or trolling or disinformation or, or extremism, tech, you can't blame tech for that. It's not the tech's fault. It's the people's fault. Tech really doesn't change anything. And that argument always sounds a bit wise to me, but always a little bit incomplete. And when it comes to disinformation, it feels very incomplete for me. I think tech does play an important role in that. And you published a tweet storm last week that I thought maybe helped unlock the clue as to why. So first of all, welcome to the Red Tape Chronicles, Alex. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So you wrote that in game theory terms, disinformation is an infinite game as opposed to a finite game. What is an infinite game and what does that have to do with disinformation? Sure, so um, the concept of infinite games versus finite games is like very basic game theory. Um, some of your listeners might have first heard it uh, from Simon Sinek. Uh, he published a book, The Infinite Game. Um, and he also gave a lecture at a New York Times event, which he some of you can find on YouTube or you might have already watched. Uh, he previously adapted his material from a book published in the 90s called Finite Games and Infinite Games by James P. Koss, who basically took these principles from game theory. So what is an infinite game? So basically, in the terms I'm going to prescribe, there are two types of games. So there's an infinite game and there's a finite game. So an infinite game can be defined as having both known and unknown players, changeable rules, with the objective being to perpetuate the game, not to win it. So, for example, business and politics, they are infinite games. A finite game can be as having players, 
fixed rules and an agreed upon objective. So like football or chess, these are finite games. So when I think about an infinite game, I think about an annoying conversation I'm having with someone on Twitter that just never ends. Um, <laughs> I, think of, I think about trolling, right? It seems to me that trolls are playing an infinite game. The point of the game is the game itself. So uh, first of all, how am I doing? Spot on. Okay. So I think of disinformation as trolling, but with, a, with a, a, an angle, if you will. So why is it that technology is an enabler for infinite games? Well, coming back to, I'm going to go about this in a roundabout way, coming back to what you first said of you know, people saying technology isn't neutral. Personally, I'm an advocate for tech neutral, but technology, when you really get down to it, is just code and math, basically. Um, and as such, it does not feel, it doesn't have any opinions on things, it's, you know, it doesn't have any grudges to hold against or axes to grind. And that's the perspective I come from. I'm sure many people listening to your podcast could debate me on this, um, which I welcome you to do on Twitter. Love that. I'm sure we could have some interesting discussion. But personally, I think tech is neutral. However, due to its capacity to basically provide an accessible platform that everyone can use, it does also provide options for you know people to use it irresponsibly or malevolently um i kind of i kind of view it the same way i view like a kitchen knife right so a kitchen knife i can use to prepare a meal feed my family um you know make sure no one goes hungry i can also you know one could also use that to commit a crime or hold up a liquor store or whatever but the actual object itself is neutral you know, on the other hand, I mean, of course, a computer, a bit and a byte is neutral, um, but I don't think it, it's, it's without impact. And you also wrote, an infinite game ultimately comes down to whether a player has the resources to continue the game. And this is where I think tech is, is pushing the lever here. Because of the internet, it's very easy and cheap to play an infinite game, right? That's, that's correct, yeah. I mean, we're in... A really incredible time in history where basically tech innovation and development is increasing at an exponential rate a la Moore's law but what isn't in Moore's law and what I think should be sort of adapted is that so technology is increasing at an exponential rate right um, but at the same time the barrier to entry is lowering simultaneously at an exponential rate. I mean, for example, when uh, the internet was first created with ARPANET way back in the day, um, that was only accessible to the military and to a very elite group of academic researchers. Um, and you basically had to have a computer science degree just to access the internet. Now you have a situation where, you know, a two-year-old can access the internet and use it pretty much instantaneously. I mean, it's that intuitive. And, you know, you've probably seen the video of a chimpanzee using Instagram, swiping through photos and interacting with it. Um, so the user interface now is such that it's so accessible. And I think this has something to do with what we're seeing with disinformation is that 
the kind of tech which would have been space age only 20 years ago is now accessible to everyone. And because we're working in a situation where it's bits, not atoms, the resources essentially come down to three things, storage, bandwidth, and processing power. And because of technology development and the trickle-down effect that has occurred in terms of lowering the barrier to entry, the price has gone down. And so with those three resources, they're either free via you know, cloud services or they're just too cheap to even meter. So I'm going to make this personal for me. I've spent 20 years or so writing about broken election technology in America. Uh, it's a very frustrating beat to cover. Um, very little has changed, even though there's been an awful lot of uh, every four years, people yell and scream about it, but nothing happens. This year, you probably are aware, there's a lot of disinformation around mail-in balloting. Right. And I take it upon myself to regularly engage with people who I think might be sincerely confused about why uh, mail-in balloting might seem unsafe, but the best way I can put it is it's certainly no more unsafe than all the other bad ways that we vote in America. And it probably is a little bit safer in a lot of situations. At any rate, when I in good faith engage on Twitter or in other places, I usually regret it. Um, there's just so many people who are convinced of something that you can't unconvince them of. And then mixed in with them are people who are intentionally trying to tear down the arguments that I'm making. And so as a good faith person trying to have an intelligent conversation on the internet, the, the deck is stacked against me, isn't it? Basically, yeah. Ooh, and <laughs> there's two other uh, things I want to get to before you, you give us the solution to this cataclysmic problem, Alex. Um, one, you raised the horrible word, it's very personal to us in the U.S., of, of the quagmire, like the Vietnam War. Mm. Um, when, when a person trying to play a finite game engages someone who's playing an infinite game, the end is inevitable, isn't it? Um, yes and no. There is an end, but it's probably not the one you're thinking of. Because mm. Basically, if an infinite player plays against an infinite player, there is stability. The system is stable because they're both playing with the same objective, but to perpetuate the game. However, if a finite player plays against an infinite player, the system is not stable, and quagmire is the result. Um, and by quagmire, I mean an unwinnable position that a player can only escape by forfeiting the game, dropping out. And I think, from my perspective, that's what we're seeing here, is that so most counter-disinformation attempts by good faith actors come down to defeating disinformation, right? Just, you know, disinformation is bad. We want to eliminate it, and by doing so, essentially win the war on disinformation. With that is that bad faith actors, they're not looking to win a war. Um, then they're, they're not looking to, you know, win against good faith actors. They are simply playing to perpetuate chaos, essentially, which has a trickle-down effect of destabilizing countries and creating disruption and uh breeding more bad faith, essentially. That's their position. Okay, so um, the other thing about technology, which I think adds to this quagmire problem, is you talk about the long tail of disinformation. What, what do you mean by that? 
Yeah, so the long tail, um, personally, I think it's a fascinating concept. It uh, was originally popularized by Chris Anderson, who wrote an op-ed in Wired magazine uh, when he was the editor-in-chief at the time. Um, it's a short piece, and I would highly recommend anyone listening to check it out. He also wrote a book based on that op-ed, which, again, I would highly recommend. Um, I genuinely think Chris Anderson is one of the best thinkers in the world today, and I don't say that lightly. So basically, the long tail is kind of difficult without the uh, graph to go with it. But essentially, it's a model um, which, for example, with Amazon. So Amazon has a long tail in that if you looked at the products that are being sold, the high sale products don't actually make up the majority of their sales. It is the niche items which don't sell that much individually but because the cost of hosting the product data online and actually hosting if you want to put it that way the physical product in warehouses is so low they can afford to essentially keep an, a never-ending supply of these products um, and although they sell very few quantities individually collectively they actually make up far, far more of the annual revenue than the high selling products. And basically, the long tail, you, you, now that I've mentioned it, you'll start seeing it everywhere. You know, if you look at Netflix with their content, it's the same thing there. Um, and, you know, you could apply it to literally countless examples um, across all different industries and sectors. And I believe the same is true for disinformation, that if you had a long tail graph in front of you, which um, I guess you might want to put in the show notes or something like that, um, you would see that, so at the head of the long tail, which is the initial part of the graph where you have that sort of big spike and then it drops down, at that point, that's your high impact attack. So that's your sort of 5G causes COVID attack. Um, and I do believe that's an attack by a bad faith actor, um, which reaches millions of people and creates enormous impact. But so that's a that's a small segment. What I think is that the long tail of the smaller lower impact disinformation attacks, um, which could vary from, you know, just about anything, which may only reach like, you know, 10,000 people or whatever, but on the long tail, and because of what we just talked about with the resources for disinformation attacks just being essentially free or too cheap to meter, this long tail can extend to infinity and the collection of all those low in, low impact attacks collectively they will reach an impact far more people than the high impact attacks at the head so long after this current covid crisis is over 10 years from now there will be teenagers searching the internet finding thousands of web pages devoted to why 5g caused coronavirus yeah i mean but the thing is the long tail is always updating in this situation, that there will always be new disinformation attacks, um, which kind of leads back to um, one of my other points in the tweet storm was uh, the compliance with the Lindy effect, um, which uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb popularized. Again, I think he's one of the best thinkers alive. 
Um, and he brought it up in his book, Anti-Fragile, which I would also highly recommend. Um, if you've got an Amazon referral scheme going on, you're going to make a bunch of cash on this. <laughs> um, so basically, the Lydney effect essentially is if something is non-perishable, so information, thoughts, um, religion, for example, if that non-perishable item has existed for, say, 20 years, it's likely to exist for another 20 years. Now, the problem with disinformation is that personally, I think disinformation has existed for as long as, you know, we figured out how to move our mouths and make sounds come out of it, or since we were like doodling on caves. Um, you know, the rumor mill is not a new concept at all. But, and, and as such, disinformation is, you know, while we're all talking about it since the turn of the century, a new concept, the accessibility coming back to that provided by social media platforms has massively exacerbated it. But because disinformation is Lindy, so we assume that it's always existed for the entirety of history, basically, our recorded history at the very least, we can expect it to carry on and perpetuate for the same time period going forward. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about an, an author in a book that I like, um, yeah. Eric, Eric Byrne, who is a psychologist in the States. Um, and he wrote a book called Games People Play, and it's, it's about interpersonal relationships for the most part. A lot of relationships end up in a racket where one person plays the victim, the other person plays the strong man, or there's a million of these there's games. There's a great game called Now I've Got You, You Son of a Bitch. Um, <laughs> and we all, we all know how that game plays out, right? Some people just enjoy catching people doing the wrong thing and then ring their necks as much as they can. Anyway, his conclusion in the book is the only way to win is to stop playing, to get up and walk away from the Monopoly table or whatever it is. Hmm. When you advise people around the world on what to do about disinformation, what do you say? Um, I certainly don't advocate giving up. Uh, that was one of the key things I didn't want uh, to come across in the original tweet storm was that I was just saying, I'm super bearish on all of this and I think we should just quit and accept it. That was not my intention whatsoever. Um, but what I do think is that we should change the way we're approaching the problem from being finite players to being infinite players. And to be honest, as I said, like the key issue with being an infinite player is resources. Now, as I mentioned, a bad faith actor, e.g. someone playing the infinite game, their resources are very, very low. It's, it's you know, very cheap to be a bad faith actor conducting disinformation attacks today. You know? um, whereas a good faith actor attempting to counter uh, disinformation attacks, it requires a much broader array of resources. I mean, quite simply, there are not enough uh, counter disinformation specialists in the world to counter the world's disinformation. The, the scales the, are imbalanced. But with things like machine learning and sort of natural language processing, we do have solutions that can help augment our efforts. Um, and that there are currently many people trying to leverage this at the moment with uh, 
um, models like uh, Grover, for example, and uh, GPT-2 had a detector model. Um, I'm not sure whether GPT-3 will, although when, if and when it does, that will be a real game changer, I think. Um, so there are efforts to do that, but I think they need to become more widely adopted and probably have more state investment. One of the uh, truisms about fighting cybercrime, or any crime really, but it's obvious in cybercrime, is that you have to make committing the crime more expensive for the criminal, mm. um, le less profitable. You have to tip the scales. Um, when identity theft, you know, when the uh, arrest rate in the U.S. for identity theft was one in 700 at one point. And then, of course, you know, nothing is more of a sure bet in life than committing an identity theft crime and getting away with it. Um, so it sounds like what you're describing is an end around of a way to making it more expensive because now I, I hear what you're saying is an arms race. Okay, so we use AI to find disinformation and pluck it out. And then of course, people who use disinformation, they use AI as well. And we kind of keep getting going up the chain of an arms race, but at least that makes it harder and not as cheap for the bad faith actors. Is that right? Um, I wouldn't say that. I, would, I wouldn't say we're making it any more expensive for them. Um, because because really it's free for them. I mean, it's in this situation, it's either free or not free. And for a bad faith actor, it is most certainly free um, or so low, it's not even worth bothering with or putting it on your you know, budget sheet. If you're like the internet research agency in Russia or something, I mean, I doubt they think too much about that. Um, but we can certainly leverage technology to our advantage in this regard and it will help us in a infinite player capacity but i also think it comes down to mindset a lot that while i'm not advocating we just say right well disinformation is a lost cause let's pack up boys and go home and um not bother i do think we have to change how we look at it that disinformation isn't going away because it's Lindy. And I think if we look at it that, okay, this is something that has existed for as long as we've been around on this planet, it's gonna to continue to be around for as long as we're on this planet. Um, we need to basically gather which are cheap, like machine learning. Machine learning is very cheap, very accessible and leverage that essentially. And for people listening who aren't working in the government and aren't trying to program AI to discover and defeat disinformation, what can an individual do just on a, on a human basis to stop this or to contribute in the right direction, to be a good faith actor or, or to play the infinite game correctly? What, what can a person do? Three words, trust but verify. Uh, I need you to say more than three words. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, um, a di uh, like a disinformation attack basically relies on someone having an emotional reaction, um, having a gut reaction of outrage. Outrage is always a good one for producing a good response in people. Um, and I think people need to take a sort of page out of the Stoics of not reacting emotionally and when they read like a headline or so, something comes up on their facebook feed of saying you, know, you won't believe what this politician did next or, you know read more um is to stop you know take a minute and think to themselves 
what is the skin in the game here? What what is the incentive for this person to publish this? Um, which ties in a lot to the actual media model as it stands currently. Which, of course, I mean, you you know, it's better than anyone, I'm sure. Um, but for your listeners, the media machine essentially its lifeblood is advertising revenue. I mean, it always has been. Um, and I think that creates a real hotbed breeding environment for disinformation and misinformation. Um, so one of the things I would like to bring up is that, so the terms disinformation and misinformation are thrown around kind of interchangeably today, but they're actually not the same thing. Um, so disinformation specifically is false information that is intended to cause harm, whereas misinformation is information that doesn't have the harm, it's just simply wrong. So it's a matter of intent. But what I would encourage people to do, um, if you're just like average Joe or whatever, is when you do see one of these sort of uh, headlines, which does provoke that response in you, to think to yourself, what is the end game of this piece? Am I just being a sucker here? That Am I being played, essentially? to click that link, go to that site, get more advertising revenue for that site and essentially be a cash cow for them because then I share it with all my friends and you know, WhatsApp groups and whatever saying, oh, I can't believe this or share it on Twitter or whatnot. And to think to themselves, like, what part am I playing in the news cycle? Because the thing is, the news cycle isn't just journalists. It's not just media platforms. It's um, the people reading. They are a part of the news cycle. And I would encourage people to think along those lines. Think about what part you play in the news cycle. Uh, just r simply recognizing that that feeling, which is usually outrage, a visceral reaction you have to something you, you read or see on a TV program, and, and stopping for a moment and saying, wait, am I being a sucker? I think that's great advice. Alex Shepard, thank you very much for your time today, and, and good luck on the rest of your disinformation and misinformation counter actions. Thanks for having me. You bet.